Good evening and welcome to Horror. I'm Lee. I'm Chris. I'm Adam. And da, 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 it's a birthday. We're here for Adam's Yay. birthday choice. <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. It's <laughs> one year older and apparently no wiser. <laughs> That's a recurring birthday theme for all of us, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so for those of you who don't normally listen, we will be spoiling the things that we cover uh, and we will be swearing. So uh, if you're easily offended, now is the time to get on your fucking bike. The fuck off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so in our usual format, we will start. Chris, have you watched anything horror related in the last two weeks? It's not horror related, but I'm going to get away with it because it's Star Wars. So we went back to watching Book of Boba Fett the last two weeks after stopping because the first couple didn't quite grab our attention. But mm. um, I think we heard from someone that said, look, episode six, it gets a lot better. Should stick with it. So I was like, all right, we'll go back, put in the effort. And like, there's definitely there's bits about it that I really like. Um but I don't know what it was. Overall, it just didn't quite have the same excitement as Mandalorian. But it definitely is getting better. Um, so I did really enjoy episode five and six. I thought it was starting to get a lot more interesting. And I won't spoil it because we shouldn't spoil this, I guess. I'm assuming neither of you have seen it. I have. I yeah. haven't started okay. it yet. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, I, I mean... I know that it's getting a lot of hate. Is it? Um, yeah. So I hadn't read anything online about it. Mm. Um, yeah. We just heard from someone that was watching it. Yeah. Because always, yeah. What's being said then? I think, well, I just think a lot of people, I mean, to be honest, I mean, we've, we'll, we'll cover it on Moss Eisley yeah. um, on, on an episode of Moss Eisley Happy Hour. Which be is, it, is it the, uh, high expectation syndrome i think it is i think it's mm. everyone really loved the mandalorian yeah but also because it's boba fett yeah that, that is think, quite a uh, a risk well i think in a weird way much as we kind of said about watching it all in order you kind of darth vader loses his impact because you know more about it yeah and and actually you find out that he's actually a bit of a angsty emo toss pot. Um, yeah, that does and, somewhat, uh, somewhat detract from the evil of the Lord. The, yeah, the ultimate evil that he is. Yeah. Um, and I think similarly, it's like, well, you've got to develop a character. Yeah, and you see and elements Fett, of weakness and that's just... Yeah, Boba Fett didn't have a character. Yeah, Boba mm. Fett was a really cool suit of armour. Yeah, he was an icon, yeah. not, a, not details. But there was exactly, and I think that might be what's causing okay, yeah. the problem. And actually, the inverse being that the reason that everyone really embraced the Mandalorian is no one knew what was coming. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so, and um, I mean, the one thing I will say, and this is not to, again, not giving too much away for anyone who's mm. not caught up. Um, I know that, I mean, I feel slightly bad that the one thing that people keep saying is, oh, yeah, episodes five and six really pick it up and it's like yeah but 
he's literally not in episode in, yeah, five. Yeah. And he I, has was, I, was, I was tempted to say that. I thought. Yeah, and like, he has one scene yeah. in episode six, and the rest of it is to do with stuff that isn't to do with Boba Fett. <laughs> Feels a bit like mm. a right kick in the ball. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the one thing, the one thing I've been finding with it is, especially because at the start, you've got what's going on currently and flashbacks to mm. the story of how Boba Fett ended up meeting the Mandalorian mm. and wearing a coat, uh, wearing a cape and escaping from the Sarlacc pit. So they sort of put all those bits in. But I think the more recent episodes, there's been like an element of, can we cut back to Boba Fett quickly? Because then it might not feel so sort of uninvolved of him. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I even suspect there's a possibility, again, not wishing to give too much away for people, but I think there's always an element of, well, we, we've, we could use these two episodes to set up Series 3 of The Mandalorian. Mm. And it's like, yeah, but you did say you were going to do some series about Boba Fett. <laughs> yeah. Do a Mandalorian yeah, Christmas special if you need to. <laughs> Bring us yeah. up to date, you know. But um, but yeah, no, um, it, I've been following. It. To be honest, I've been I've been enjoying it. It's, it's yeah. still very Star Wars. Yeah. I think mm. I think it's a weird sort of. I can. It, it's almost gone both ways in so much as I can see why people are sort of like, oh, well, it's detracting. It's not really the character, and blah blah blah. But also, it's now getting in the people are like, oh, do you have to keep bringing old stuff in to sort of justify this series for existing? And yeah, it's sort of, I don't know if it's now got to the point where it's like, no, you just managed to piss off both sides of this sort of <laughs> argument of what you do with new Star Wars. So, I think that almost makes uh, me like it more, though. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm now going to be anti the anti. Well, I think. I, the one thing I did say, and this this is not a spoiler. I don't obviously I don't know this, but if it turns out I'm right, fuck me. Mm. Um, I still think that the ultimate thing they could do to troll the fan base entirely is that the last episode ends with him just being eaten by another Sarlacc, <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, no, no, we we we, we dragged him out of the Sarlacc, did all this, and then we just put him back in the Sarlacc, and yeah, that's it. You're not seeing him again. So. <laughs> At least he won't have jumped the Sarlacc. But, uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna l not that, lay money that, on that. I was gonna say that in many ways is the problem <laughs> in Return of the Jedi is that he did yeah. <laughs> jump the Sarlacc. So, <laughs> cool. Right, yeah, I've not caught up with it yet, but uh, I, I will do at some point. But yeah, I, I just it was so negative from the very mm. off. That by the time I was like, oh yeah, that started, doesn't it? And everyone was like, yeah, but it's dog shit. I thought, well, <laughs> I've got too much else going on to mm. to waste my time with something that people think is mediocre at best. So I'll, I'll wait and see how it finishes. It might have a fantastic end, and you all change your minds, you know, mm. like a bit of a reverse see, lost. But I don't see it. See, this is, I mean, that's another reason why I would only do, I'll only plan to do a Moss Eisley once it's finished, mm. because you know, shit can turn around or whatever like that. Mm. And also, you know, as Chris said, there's people online who are like, oh, no, it's really taken an upturn now. And, you know, you could have been saying from the off that it was CAC. 
and um, it genuinely isn't. And uh, Matt Berry's the voice of a droid. So, well, that that does add yeah. a little something, yeah. Well, it is the best thing is is that the new series of Toast of Tinseltown, uh, all the way through it, he, uh, Stephen Toast has gone to America, but he was he originally goes because he's got a part in the new Star Wars movie, <laughs> and um, which literally everyone he meets just goes, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I do like the idea that, yeah, he did get to do the voice of a droid in the book of Boba Fett. Mm. But also I love the fact that it would be typical Stephen Toast, that it was, uh, I was the voice of a droid in the book of Boba Fett, followed by just people going, isn't that the most hated Star Wars product <laughs> since, the, since the holiday special? <laughs> so... Yeah, right. Um Adam, what have you been watching horror-wise? Um, well, I haven't watched much, both because um, someone got uh, Claire's dad got me uh, the complete Blake Seven on DVD, so I've literally just been watching Blake Seven. Admittedly, <laughs> um, last night, in the spirit of having something to bring to the table, I did buy myself uh, the um, uh, Mask of the Red Death the Vincent Price, nice. Roger Corman film. Um, mostly because it's odd that it's the only one that isn't in, in Arrow's. Like Arrow have brought out pretty much the whole lot. You've got House of Usher and The Raven and uh, Tales of Terror and all the ones, and a lot of ones we've watched anyway, to Malagia. Um, and for some reason, I'm not sure what, whether it's a rights issue or someone else has got the... You know, someone's got the copyright to it that Arrow couldn't negotiate. So Mask of the Red Death is out on a different label. I think it's out on Eureka. And, um, but they've, uh, the version I watched is a restored version because there were bits that they were cut out for the American censors. Hmm. Um, interestingly enough, mostly more stuff to do with, oh, well, they, they were saying Latin phrases that could be devil worship. Um, <laughs> so... I think it was censored in the sense of how Harry Potter is apparently satanic, where it's like, yeah, you know, it doesn't contain any genuine fucking occult stuff. It's made <laughs> up by someone. And much the same way with Mask of the Red Death, does not contain genuine satanic, or well, in inverted commas, genuine satanic ritual. It's someone had a Latin to English dictionary on their shelf and went yeah. through a few words. Um, but I mean, it's. It, I, I mean, I, I mean, I think probably we'll get around to covering all of them eventually, um, because so. they're such a strong set of films. The thing, I mean, the Mask of the Red Death. The main reason I've been wanting to watch it is I've been, I've been pretty much wanting to watch it throughout lockdown. <laughs> but I'm glad that I kept it to a point where it really became relevant. Hmm. Of the idea of the countryside is being ravaged by a plague while a bunch of decadent, twisted, perverted, rich, controlling wankers have a fucking orgy. And, you know, let's face it, they're not quite as classy as uh, Vincent Price and mm -hmm. uh, Hazel Court and everyone, but it does feel very analogous to the current situation particularly uh of the the whatever they're going to call it party gate i would assume because everything's got to be gate mm -hmm. 
mostly because no one's realised that, oh, yeah, Watergate wasn't a fucking gate. It wasn't about water. It was the name <laughs> of a hotel. But, you know, who, who's who's to take away a popular <laughs> a popular way of expressing, you know? Oh, no, it's uh, Clark's footwear gate. <laughs> Etc. But, um, and, yeah, I mean, still... And oddly enough, of all of the post-cycle, I think probably the one that still stands up as horror mm. particularly because I think because it's not a pleasant is the wrong word or so you know it's not a it doesn't have as much frippery and freeness and sort of more I mean certainly it's the film they did after the Raven mm. and the fact that they did the Raven then this is a real snapback from, well, let's do a jolly comedy with uh, Jack Nicholson and everyone's having a nice muck about time and uh, Peter Laurie will be dressed uh, dressed up as a raven for half of it and so on and so forth. And then, yeah, and then you get Mask of the Red Death and it's just like, yeah, everyone who's powerful is a twisted pervert who should die and everyone else is merely a plaything to their bullshit. So it's sort mm. of... <laughs> Yeah, I think it. Uh, like I say, it's it's definitely one if you're if you're feeling if you're feeling in the mood for drawing a series of very simple uh, parallels between things that are happening at the moment. Mask of the Red. You could do no worse than Mask of the Red Death, to be honest. Um, and also, I never realised, but the cinematographer's Nick Rogue, and it's like, ah, that's why this looks so fucking amazing mm. because it's like you know, obviously goes on to be such an incredible director in his own right but again mm. it's that thing of Corman just being a powerhouse for um giving greats their first go in the industry yeah, yeah and good. it isn't just necessarily in front of the camera it can be behind as well mm. excellent cool um i have unfortunately uh i have sped ahead so a lot of the stuff i've been watching is actually uh, prep for our next episode. Uh-huh. I'm going to try and squeeze quite a lot in. Um, but that being said, I have probably watched another dozen or so of the Masters of Horror since our last episode. Mm. Oh, of course, yeah. Any any standout episodes? Uh, do you know what I've got to say? I know Adam said you know it's a bit of a mixed bag, and it's mm. you know as you expect with these type of things. You know, it is with them, no matter how good it is, like Twilight Zone or whatever. You know, you mm. get it's very up and down. Yeah. Um, and although these are all very different, I have thoroughly enjoyed every single episode mm, from here well, on. Good. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, they 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 they're consistently they're consistently good. Yeah, it's just some really stand out, but it's yeah, yeah they, it's not it's not you don't get like an absolute dog leg of a fucking episode. No, mm. no, I say we've not had any really. I mean, a deal. So after the ones we watched last time that we discussed. Uh, so we just finished Chocolate, I believe, last time we recorded. Oh, yes, you um, had, yeah. So then it was followed up by Joe Dante's Homecoming. Mm. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dear Woman by John Landis. Fantastic. And then John Carpenter's Cigarette Burns were our next three episodes. So I was mm-hmm. like, gosh, it just keeps getting better. Um, the Fair-Haired Child was amazing. Sick Girl was hilarious and incredible. Oh, sick, sick Girl is fantastic. Yeah. That it really is a great one, yeah. 
Pick Me Up felt like a Coen Brothers movie. I loved that one. Which one's Pick Me Up? Uh, that is the one with the two, again, spoilers, uh, two serial killers, basically. Trying to oh, out yes. Part one. <laughs> yes. To catch the yeah. same person. Um, and then Haeckel's Tale, also known as uh, Orgy of the Dead by Clive Barker. Of course, it's Clive mm-hmm. Barker. Mm-hmm. It was disgusting. Um, yep. Uh, and then Takeshi Miike's one, which, mm. yikes. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah, rush you said back that and was watch a bit it again. Out there, mm. <laughs> it's it's a it's a weird one. It's yeah, it's not. It's definitely not a, a sort of a, a yearly revisit, shall no. we say? But it, I mean, it's brilliant. But also, I I remember watching it and just being, oh right, so that's why you banned it, rather yeah. than you know, rather than the usual thing where it's like. Oh, for fuck's sake, what you mean it was over that that they did it? And it's like, oh, no, actually, yeah, this is possibly one of the most extreme fucking things I've <laughs> ever seen broadcast on television. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, that... Yeah. Season two, couple of the standout ones, Family, uh, with the guy from yep. Cheers in it. Oh, yes. Yeah. No, uh, not Norm. Um, yeah. yeah, Norm, isn't it? Yeah, it is Norm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the V word was excellent. The two yes. guys who go into the mortuary at night. Pro life with Ron Perlman. Holy shit. Oh, yes, which is the other John Carpenter film. Yeah. And it should be called Big Trouble in My Vagina. <laughs> it totally should. Um, yeah. yeah, that was epic. That felt like a movie on its own. Um, and yeah. Then, and then Pelts, which. Oh, yes, with starring the uh, now uh, departed meatloaf. Yes, yes, and John Saxon. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of gutted. We've only got about eight or so left to go because I'm just loving this series so much and I want it to end. I know I know what you mean. They, did, they There was a follow-up called Masters of Science Fiction, hmm. but it genuinely just... I think that, A, that didn't really... It didn't really sort of live up to the promise of... Masters of Horror. Mm. Um, but also, I think that that was something where, unless you were going to get, say, you know, uh, uh, most of the big sci fi directors are big. Yeah. So, unless you're going to get George Lucas or Steven Spielberg or, you know, nowadays Dennis Villeneuve or someone like that, you know, even. Um, so, they couldn't do it from that point of view. So, it was adaptions of classic sci-fi stories mm-hmm. which is okay except you know the great thing with Masters of Horror it was all original stuff there wasn't yeah. a, mm-hmm. you know there weren't any remakes I know um, the I know a couple of them like, like you say there's a couple adapted from Clive Barker stories and um, Incident in and Off a Mountain Road is from a short story mm. and it's yeah but no it's a real shame that they didn't sort of keep going with it yeah and the other the other real disappointment with it which was the person who coined the phrase never did a film with them which is uh it was Guillermo del Toro ah just sorry another quick one it isn't horror so I wasn't going to bring it up but I I have seen the latest Guillermo del Toro one as well this oh week. Nightmare Alley yes is it any good I, I really enjoyed it it's it's a proper epic it's a full two and a half hours 
Um, ah, okay. And, it's much more of a fantasy thing, is it? Or yes, yeah. Ah. It, it, it's well, it's more of a thriller, really. It's um, mm, okay. But yeah, I, I mean, fantastic and really standout performances as well. Really, really drawn into it. So uh, yeah, if you get a chance to see that, it's well. It was another one that sort of came out and went under the radar a bit. Um, mm. Well, the weird thing was, is I kept seeing things about it, thinking, "Oh, that looks good," and then suddenly I was like, "Oh, it's it's out, is it?" Oh, <laughs> yeah, I assume been out and no one mentioned it. You go, yeah, oh, shit, it, <laughs> it felt like it was. It felt like it was the start to the build up of a big campaign. And it's like, oh no, this was the campaign. <laughs> like, you know, the three people I saw mention it on Instagram or whatever it was. And yeah. But when, yeah, apparently what it was is they all had like a big sort of dinner. And Gilmero del Toro kept shouting to the waiters, please, more wine for the masters of horror, more booze for the masters. Just as this sort of catch-all title and that's why it ended up being called Master of Horror because it was you know I think it was it was like um, obviously like Mick Garris but I think it was John Landis and John Carpenter and Joe, Joe Dante and obviously they all sort of know each other anyway but um, mm. yeah it was like some big meeting the meal that they were having and they were kind of discussing the origins of the thing but yeah that's where it comes from is actually it was a name dreamt up by Gilmero del Toro which is um fortunate that he never did one yeah i'd because... love to have seen what he'd have done as well mm. Mm. i'm also i'm also glad that you're enjoying the argento ones in there because i think that they are you you know they're much closer to what he does later yeah because stuff like suspiria is distinctly much in the same way that well kind of but with david lynch where you've got um eraser heads is a pretty out there start. Yeah. And then it's, you know, it sort of draws back somewhat from there. I mean, admittedly, not too much, but, you know, it's a, you, you could sell, you could sell someone that they were watching a normal film with Blue Velvet. Hmm. You know, if you put Blue Velvet on it, it's sort of like, yeah, it'll be, it'll be weird, but people will follow it and they'll know the tropes. If you put on a razor head blank to someone, you know that is that's a hell of a that's a hell of a fucking moment. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, and on that note, so uh, we shall head into this evening's choice. So, mm. Adam, you have chosen this for your birthday uh, choice. I'm not going to show my hand yet, but why? It's all I, can... I suspect. I suspect I know where your hand is going, <laughs> uh, and you'll go blind. <laughs> um basically it was it was just something that I'd been meaning to re-watch for some time and uh then just suddenly someone like someone completely you know I wasn't expecting to mention it and I was like oh what you've seen that because it was like the only people I know who've seen that I showed it to them yeah, you know, and it's like there's. I'm, I'm assuming that members of the cast have seen it and the director, <laughs> but other than that, I don't have any evidence that anyone has ever seen this fucking film. I and don't think was, an editor's seen it because it doesn't look like it oh, was put together. <laughs> well, you know, you have to you have to make do where you can, but um, <laughs> I think that um, so it was just it was just sort of like putting it out there to see if it get more love, which um, seems to have been a fool's errand by the sounds of it <laughs> um but also i think 
you know, it, it's to uh, to be honest. Uh, by the way, um, the uh, South End on Sea episode, very, uh, really enjoyed that, folks. Thank as you. I can say, I can say that as a listener, um, <laughs> and um, but I know, but I can honestly say that I didn't deliberately pick this on the basis that I was not really aware of Lee's opinion of it. Mm. So I'll tell you what, because just before we jump to Chris in our normal fashion. So what happened was Adam and I were really excited about this coming out. Cause it was like, right. I, I, we both love phantasm. We both know, mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say that it's a mess, a horrible mess of a film, but we love it. Walks mm. and all. Bubba Hotep was fantastic. And then this was coming out and we were both mm. really excited and I watched it and it got to the end. And the only thing when Adam said, I want to watch it, the only thing I could remember was terrible Jamaican accent and getting to the end and sitting in a room on my own and saying out loud, well, I'll never watch that again. So- <laughs> <laughs> Apparently uh, never say never. <laughs> but again, I thought, well, you know what, I- I'm-, I'm happy to come back to it because quite often we you know we've done this with other films mm. where i didn't think i liked Death it line. I wouldn't have rewatched it and then when i go back i go oh actually do you know what it was so much better than i anticipated mm. and i watched it this time with jennifer and she had a really good time with it so i don't i can't tell you what i don't like about it but i don't like anything about it. <laughs> All right. wait enough. wait Funny. let me jump right in just at that oh. point and then you can speak afterwards i'm going to have to say the exact opposite <laughs> I'm not sure I could tell you exactly why I like it, but I love it, and I'm probably going to watch it again tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's well. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear, Chris, because I, I, as I say, I don't. I don't deliberately bring movies to people thinking, "I hope you fucking hate this." Do you know what I mean? There's, that is, I, I haven't got a kink for it, and it's also it's also why I I just never get involved at work. With people mm. saying, "Well, what what would you recommend?" Ron? Seriously, <laughs> you do not want to <laughs> test me yeah. on this, you know. Or especially if it's something like, "Oh yeah, can you name a really be- can you name a really you know extreme horror film?" And you're like, "I can name three that will fucking wipe the smile yeah. off your soul." <laughs> but who's having who's having a good time then? You know, <laughs> I mean, admittedly, the right person asks me, and I'm saying. Watch Martyrs invite the kids. <laughs> the best, it's the best thing Pixar never made. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, no, I'm, I think, and weirdly enough, this was something that Claire said after we watched it is because I said, oh, I said, I'm not sure, but I think Lee, when Lee's reaction when I brought it up was like, mm. and I, and, but Claire said something very interesting. She said, I don't know. I can't explain why. Psycho Gorman, this should have mm. all the stuff that on paper Lee would like. Yeah. But I can understand yeah. that Lee doesn't like it. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. exactly yeah. that. It, it feels. It, it feels. Maybe like it's it a hype thing. To, I think it's because it tries to do so much. It tries mm. to be horror and sci-fi and comedy and trippy and loads of drug references and really cool to the youth and blah, and it tries to do so much it does fucking none of it um, <laughs> and it's an incoherent story it's full of really good people like Clancy Brown's in it mm. um, Paul Giamatti and still uh, the only good performance in it is the detective 
So, all oh, right, now that, that's funny, right? Now, I felt like I must have seen these actors in loads of other things and I could not think of anything that I know any of them from. And yet I loved the acting and the characters throughout and found the dialogue captivating, the monologues captivating, the one-line phrases I need to watch back because I'm sure there are some great quotes in this. It's just I mean, like <laughs> everything was entertaining. And yeah, none of it made a lot of sense by then. It's like, you know, pop fiction kind of thing. Nothing exactly happened and tons of things happened. Yeah. I mean, I think the one the one thing I would say, and from the off, because you really like this, Chris, I'm going to say read the book. Mm, oh, okay. That's the interesting. Book, uh, well, for two reasons. The book differs from the film in a lot of places but basically the book is set over the course of about a year Mm. and it's like three stories that happen that explain how john and dave become john and dave and so like the bit of the start with the the meat monster Mm. um and, and that that was the thing that I think that was the moment that I fell I fell for the movie. Yeah. Was the bit where he goes to reach for the handle, it turns into a big cock and balls, <laughs> and he just shrieks and goes, That door cannot be opened. <laughs> and <it's, laughs> but um because yeah, what was it? But the but in the book, the one thing that you get with the book is that there is a very and this is something I saw a lot of people online saying about with because it was again it was one of those films. It was like I never see anyone talking about it, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people who were big fans of the book weren't happy with the film. Mm-hmm. And one of the main reasons is is that you get a final, the final part of the book has such an interesting thing happen that they leave out of the film that. I because I came to the book afterwards. I watched the film, then I read the book. So, um, but I think that for a lot of people, it was kind of like that's a fundamental that thing needed to be in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, much much in the same way as how I was. Um, it was much like when I because I I watched Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas before I read Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, mm. and the one thing that I did regret having read it was that they missed out the line. You know where it's. Uh, how much for the monkey when he's going to buy that uh, magician's ape off him in that? And then at one point, Dr. Gonzo saying to him, well, what, what did you think you were going to do? And he's like, I'm going to book two tickets on a flight under Raul Duke and son. What stewardess is going to be rude enough to point <laughs> out my child's obvious deformities and mental illness? <laughs> and, <it's, laughs> and again, so, but, but similarly, there's like such a, and it's such a, I don't want to go too much into it, and I definitely don't want to spoil it for anyone who's listening uh, who wants to read the book. Uh, and anyone who wants to know, just ask me and I'll tell them. But, yeah, so there is a big fucking mm. bit that sort of is left out because you don't get the final part of the book. Um, and also, uh, the the other real difference is that there's um, the character in this of Amy, mm. Um is actually she's an amalgam and she's an amalgam of two characters. There's Amy in the book, who um, is an amputee with a false hand, and and actually it's like she's not the ro- she's not Dave's 
romance interest. That is a character called Jennifer Lopez. Um, <laughs> who is because there's two things in the book. There's Jennifer, there's Jennifer Jen Lopez, because it's like, no, call me Jen because I don't want to be Jennifer Lopez. Because she she fucking hates the fact that she's got J Lo's name. Um, and the detective is called Detective Morgan Freeman because that's who he reminds Dave and John of. Mm. So they just call him Detective Morgan Freeman. <laughs> but the, the book is very much in, like the sort of voiceover sections. The book is like that. Mm. It's very sort of like punchy, like every line, is almost every line is a joke. I saw someone refer to it as being like a cross between um, Douglas Adams and Stephen King. Mm. And I'm not quite sure about that, but I did see someone say, um, this is like Lovecraft versus Clarks, like the Kevin Smith movie. Yeah, yeah. I can yeah. see that. That mm. I can really sort of see because it's that sort of thing of basically to, I suppose you would regard them as slackers. I don't know what the term would be now, but, you know, basically, yeah, two guys who probably shouldn't be in charge of the universe not dying, yeah. being in charge of the universe <laughs> Somehow not they dying. are, yeah. Yeah. And um, and I like I like that sort of I like that level of incompetent competence. Mm. You know, it's very much like Jack Burton's yeah yeah of, anti-hero type yeah. Mm. Um, but I think yeah, because actually, and because um, obviously uh, the guy who plays um, uh, the guy who plays the detective uh, Appleton. Um, is the uh, is the biology teacher in Gremlins? Mm. Oh, you know the one who ends up with an arse full of syringes. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. but and e- even more so. And obviously, we've we've obviously covered Clancy Brown um, when we did um, uh, Cast the Deadly Spell mm. uh, and stuff. And uh, I'm going to have to see that he's the voice of Mr. Krebs as well because mm-hmm. I like doing the impression. Um, but um, yeah, they um, obviously recovered both of them. But also, did you did you realise that uh, Fred Chu was Sizzler from Dude Bro Party Massacre Three? <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> yeah, you're so, right. No, I didn't. Because that was that was one of those things where I was I was going through before I watched it I was sort of like starting to assemble my notes and stuff like that um, and yeah I was like now that's going to be good and it was just as soon as he came on screen I was just yeah it is, yeah of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the the the, the character who's called Large Man in the credits yes. who is the head of the other um, alternate the Korok universe mm. or the yeah. leader of that yeah um he is the guy who's playing grandpa munster in mm. rob zombies munsters uh reset and actually at the moment his picture on imdb is him as grandpa munster in full fucking yeah i'm like, looking at white it right tash now. And yeah. stuff. so and i didn't realize actually that that he's been in loads of um he had he has not only is he in loads of Rob Zombie movies, he plays the same character, which is a newscaster called Morris Green. Mm. Um, and so he's, yeah, so he's all over, um, he's all over Rob Zombie movies, which I hadn't realised before. 
Um, because again, that was one of those just weird moments where I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, I fucking know you, take the mask <laughs> off. And obviously he never does. And then I looked him up and I was like, I have jack shit idea who this guy is. Yeah. He just, he just sounded so familiar that I was like, oh, it's, it was like I was expecting to find out that they were someone from a TV series or something like, you know, just someone you regularly watch. Or like, oh, fucking hell, of course it is. And no, he's just got one of those voices. Um, in terms of, and obviously we've got uh, more links to Gilmero del Toro because you've got Doug Jones turning up as Roger North. Yeah. Um, just being so fucking weird. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting how weird he can be without prosthetics. Mm. Because you kind of assume that you're, you know, but you you soon realise that actually it's very much his performance that informs mm. what is alien about Ape Sapien or the Angel of Death or whatever like that. Mm. Um, but actually, since the last time we saw Doug Jones, he has been the Baron in what we do in the shadows. Yeah, uh, Baron yeah. Afanaris or Afanaris yeah. or yeah, Afanas. Um, yeah, and again, it's just it's weird because it's like you know we start sort of re coming. Oh, sorry, excuse me. We start coming back back across actors as we go, obviously, mm. and then it's like, oh, actually, they've done like a shit ton more since you know, and in yeah. and in the horror genre, you know. Um, but I mean, there's I mean, there's certain things in this that I mean, it, in, this film it did introduce me to the phrase. Yeah, well, you'll be staring at my fe- my fist and Dave's dick. No. <laughs> you don't tell us what we want to know. <laughs> and actually, there's because the, there's the line there's the line that feels really it's a line that's really weird until it gets its payoff when it's like because he's doing all that speech about. Uh, have you ever noticed that when you hear a a word and then you hear it again for the next three yeah. days, and it's just that. Have you ever heard the expression? <laughs> Uh, I want to shoot you so bad my dick's hard no well maybe you'll hear it again in the next three days (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's no it is it is a strange one Um, but I'm I I think and I I know where you're coming from Lee because I think the trouble is is that they did smash so much of this book together to try and make you know, oddly enough to make a coherent movie by losing that coherence to a yeah. certain extent it's, like it does, um, it's just such a, I mean I watched this film five days ago and I was mm. sitting in the bath an hour ago before we started recording and I was like right so I know I disliked it but what is my impression of the film I, again I couldn't remember half of what had happened I was like I remember the Jamaican. I remember there's a syringe. I remember a weird octopus thing. And other than that, I didn't remember any. And then I sat down, opened IMDb up, and I was like, oh, of course, Clancy Brown's character. Oh, and there's the newspaper guy. Oh, and I forgot all about the detective. Again, I just I just keep going back to, I watch it, and the second it's finished, I'm like, couldn't tell you a thing that happened. It's so it do- forgettable. It, it, it does doesn't engage nothing. you. 
Yeah. No, that's that's. I mean, that's the thing is, I think that is, you know, that is that is distinctly a problem when it's sort of, it's, especially with something yeah. like this, because if it, cause if it doesn't grab you, which I assume it has done with you, Chris, by the sounds of it. Yeah, like you could reel off tons of those quotes, and they they all sound unique enough, and yet like ones that I should have heard previously. It's like I think yeah, just so yeah, much in it was they, they, funny they and entertaining. Yeah, nothing. Nothing sounds sort of. Nothing sounds awkward, mm. um, and I, but also I just love the it's the severe weirdness of it mm. of like having a fight with that weird cop whose moustache flies off and becomes <laughs> a secondary opponent kind of bat, and it's yeah just sort of. Quite quietly bizarre, and then obviously, and in, in terms of the names thing, you've obviously got Robert Marley, yeah. Where mm. it's like, oh yeah, but it's just again, it's that roll of the eyes where it's like, oh well, his name's Robert oh, Marley, yeah, yeah, of course yeah. it is, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it, it's, but it's, it does, yeah, as that sort of laughing at itself, um, you know, self-referential kind of awareness. But it is, it, uh, it is definitely, I could see how I could kind of hate it, but somehow. <laughs> the ridiculousness just works for me and yet yeah in another film it might not for some reason but it did I, it made me suspend my disbelief enough that I didn't care if any of it made sense I didn't really care almost what happened it was just I want to see whatever next scene you've prepared for me I'm happy to watch it and there is going to be something that I'm going to find yeah very funny or entertaining about it um, well, that, yeah, that, that, does make, that does make me hopeful for when we get around to doing fantastic. Yeah, well, so I was going to say, yeah, um, because I had no idea. I mean, I'm sure you said it, but obviously putting these things together, I hear a lot of names, a lot of references yeah. to things. It's hard to always remember all of them. But so, yeah, I, I didn't know at all what this was related to. Um, and then after I'd watched it, I watched the trailer. Um, and yeah, and it said from the creator um, or director yeah, of, yeah. of both Phantasm and Bubba Hotep. And obviously you mentioned Bubba Hotep a lot of times. Phantasm, yeah. I, I remember you mentioned, you know, a couple. But so so the, you're saying they're similar in the sort of chaotic... Well, I, I think certain, certainly, I mean, Phantasm is certainly... Oddly enough, it's that companionship element mm, that I think okay. that Don Coscarelli gets so well. And I've not mm. really... It's only you saying it now that's made me think of that. Yeah, so like the director, Don, Don Coscarelli, he did the first four Phantasm films and wrote and produced the fifth. Hmm. And actually the director of the fifth film is one of the guys who gets his eyes eaten out by spiders in this. Yeah. And again, yeah, I mean, that, that's that a love- comic scene was yeah. brutal. But again, a nice stylistic change that... Well, it's, I think it's such a clever idea to do it where it's like, right, so it gives you it gives you the idea of it gives you the idea of the absolute horror mm, yeah. of what takes place, but also the strangeness of this other reality where they're like, mm. we've observed you yeah. and we understand that cartoons <laughs> help you to understand things better. So yeah. we've turned this next sequence into a cartoon to make it more palatable. <laughs> But and I was still shocked that. at how unpalatable the cartoon was. I was like, oh, That's yeah, I'll feel a bit of it. about that. And it's that like, is the genius of it. It's so <laughs> like, well done. I for... still have no idea what you two are talking about. I've watched this <laughs> film five days ago. I don't remember anyone getting their eyes eaten out by spiders, and I don't remember you, a cartoon. You should look up the clip of that now. I, I, it's, yeah, 
it's just it, too it, good. <laughs> and actually, yes, yeah, so the director of Phantasm five, 5 gets his eyes ripped out by spiders in this, as does his wife. So um, it's a family affair. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so but the main thing with Phantasm is it's uh, brothers and their friends. Again, not people who should be tackling, like, saving the world from mm. bizarre things. Okay. And even similarly, Bubba Hotep. Bubba Hotep is the story of Elvis faked... Well, Elvis... <laughs> Elvis decided that he'd had enough of being Elvis. Mm. So he wanted a break for a little bit. So he got an Elvis impersonator to take over for him, who is then... Who died on the toilet, clogged up with shit and drugs. Mm. And now Elvis has no way back of being Elvis. He can't come back and say, oh, sorry, it's me, because as far as everyone's concerned, this guy is Elvis who died. He ends up in an old folks' home where everyone just thinks that he's a nutter who thinks he's Elvis, and he befriends an elderly black man in a wheelchair who is actually John F. Kennedy. Even though John F. Kennedy was assassinated, they said, yeah, and he just says, yeah, but they took my brain and they put it in this body. Because famously, JFK's brain did go missing uh, mm. after the autopsy. Um, so, uh, but they have to fight an ancient mummy dressed as a cowboy in an old folks' home. An ancient mummy who leaves hieroglyphic graffiti in the toilets. And, and similarly, like, and, and, and I mean, fuck me, Phantasm, I don't want to go into it because it spoils it too much, but Phantasm is a pretty out there premise as well. Do you know what I mean? And similarly, I think that seems to be his trick is that he does ordinary people and mm. almost not necessarily the right people fighting evil really fucking well. And also bizarre evil. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's the other thing I like with it is because I think it's one of those things where everyone's, especially now, everyone's sort of kind of. I mean, the bubble slightly burst a bit, but everyone's still Lovecraft and weird fiction, and you know, weird with a Y, and sort of cosmic horror and things like that. And I think that it's a very unusual thing that it is not mind enough how. Lovecraftian horror can also be piss funny mm. because it's so strange it becomes literally absurd yeah, yeah and I think that that is again something that I like about this it's like it's like under normal circumstances when they confront Korok the genetically mm. engineered yeah. octopus brain quantum computer that runs their the other reality he starts making like crude dick jokes yeah yeah <laughs> and it's like what do you want well not big cocks because that obviously makes us different and your mother writes on shit on the walls and is a failed prostitute and you're so <laughs> and again it's like somehow somehow that's just that's just as spot on as pinheads will tear your soul apart in so much as yeah in in this reality why not why isn't he making just like, you know, why would he not spar with them on their level? Mm. 
Mm. You know, what he is not going to impress them by being ooky and mysterious, but he can needle them by, you know, claiming that they're gay or, <laughs> or you know, it's your mother cooks socks in hell. You know, it's that kind of scenario with it, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, so- there is... There is some budgetary constraints, obviously, with it, because I think towards the end it does start looking. It start it starts looking a bit more CG because I think a lot of the stuff in it, like like the, the restaurant and the mall and all those sort of places, actually look very good, look really realistic. Yeah. The, set, the scene it. setups were, were great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, some mm. of the CG effects, like um, the flyers flying around him, that. But again, somehow. That didn't distract me the way it does in some because it was like, yeah. When it's so surreal, you like, yeah, it's well, like, it might uh, exactly, look yeah. weird. Exactly, like, yeah. You kind of accept that it might, yeah. that's what it might look like. It's fine. Yeah. See, I think that that I've always liked, though, where it's like, maybe that is what it looks like. No one can tell you the difference. Because <laughs> yeah. sort of like, wouldn't that be so, that would be such a kick up the cock for, say, James Cameron or someone equally as sort of like poncy about their effects, where it's like aliens turn up and they've got a blue fringe around them where they look yeah. like they're badly fucking <laughs> blue screened onto something. And it's just like, you know, or, you know, it, the colour bleeds across and you can see off the set through the back of their head or something gets shiny <laughs> or whatever like that. I just love that. I think that just because it would validate 1970s Doctor Who whilst also at the same time really pissing off people who've spent <laughs> thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds of man hours trying to make these things perfect. Yeah. And it turns out, actually, they did look like a, a bad superimposition after all. <laughs> so they, they do. It's a uh, funny thing with, um, they say it quite a lot with UFOs, don't they? Because it's, again, it's another mm. one of those things. I know we've mentioned it before. I don't quite know how I feel about how, real i believe it is but i love ufos and ufo stories um mm. yeah and the amount of times you come across stuff where people are like right i'm gonna describe it it sound it looked like a terrible plastic toy like it didn't look mm. like it's written you hear that a lot people saying it, it's how you imagine them when they made those terrible plastic ones for the 50s movies it mm. looked and moved like that it genuinely was a weird which again uh, might lead into it being more of a psychological thing that we haven't quite understood yet or whatever. Um, but yeah, so as you say, so that idea that it doesn't quite look real is something that in my mind for something this surreal, you can go, well, yeah, they're not real flies. They're interdimensional flies. Who knows what interdimensional <laughs> flies look like? Maybe they do look like shit. I mean, you can't tell. I must, I must confess. I did buy myself some soy sauce to go with my noodles. <laughs> yeah. I just heard the word. I just heard the word so often <laughs> throughout the film, um, and I. Um, but the so because <coughs> so this may be the interesting thing. Maybe it's you like Don Coscarelli, but just not him uh, adapting David Wong because mm. Baba think- Hotep is an adaption. You know, is from a Joe R. Lansdale book, who's the guy who wrote um, Incident in and Off a uh, Mountain Road. Yeah. So it may just be that it's, they work better. I think not only that, Bubba Hotep's a short story rather than a yeah, like full-blown epic. I think the thing is, it's like, as you say, I mean, he's definitely got his niche of stuff that he likes to bring to the screen. 
So like mm. Phantasm and Bubba Hotep are both very surreal, very weird and don't make a But this to me felt too much. It felt like he was, and, and as you say, I know he didn't write it, but that's what mm. it felt like. Like someone had said to him, this is the weirdest thing ever. It's a load of nonsense, but it's really weird. You should totally just give it a go. But it mm. just, it felt too try hard to me. It felt like someone trying to be too wacky and off the line and just, you know, when you try so mm. hard, you end up forcing it and it doesn't feel natural and right. And that's what this felt like to me. It felt like someone trying to be weird in a kind of office wanker type way. And in fairness, there is nothing worse. It's like a series of young comedians or youngish comedians called Russell all trying to be Noel Fielding. Yes. And it's like, yeah, but you're, you're not, mate. You've written you've written down, what's a weird word? Banana, camel. Right, okay, yeah, we'll put them in because that'll be... You, you, you ain't got the fucking airfare, mate. You have to be actually genuinely off your tits. Like, fucking... No, you know, Noel Fielding is a seriously eccentric man. I don't yeah. think it's not played for... You know, it's that... That would be happening if he worked in the post office. Yeah, so, oh, yeah totally. you know. Yeah. And, and that's actually, what I um, felt with this. So, yeah, you're quite mm. right. That is the best description of it. It is, it's, a, it's a horrible thing when you get that feeling, though, because it is sort of like, oh, yeah. Because, I mean, even... Um... Guys, guys, I don't know how long I've got. I've hopefully not died yet, but I think in around 10 minutes, my son's going to come in and we're going to have to close the podcast down. And there's just so much stuff that I need to get through to you before before the end of that. Um, essentially, we were talking about the fact that the book uh, written by David Wong, a.k.a. Jason Pargin, um, was originally published, well, was originally uh, posted online between... 1999 and 2005 over on his blog Pointless Waste of Time and uh, actually they sold the uh, he sold the uh, film rights before he actually got a publishing deal for for the uh, book to come out and uh, there are now four books in the uh, Dave and John series Um, so you've got John Dies at the End the sequel, this book is full of spiders seriously do don't touch it what the hell did I just read? And coming up, uh, if this book exists, you're in the wrong universe. He's also written two books in a uh, sci-fi vein featuring a character called Zoe Ash. Uh, and they're called Futuristic Violence and Fancy Suits. And Zoe punches the future in the dick. So, as you can see, they sort of tend to... He tends to stick to this, a similar sort of thematic style. Um, oh, dear. What? No. Sorry, I thought I saw something in the corner of corner of the room, um, but uh, yeah. So he was publishing this online as part of this uh, blog, but he originally took the name David Wong, much for the same reason as the character does, as a very hard to find pseudonym. So that if anyone from his work stumbled across the website and recognised anything, they wouldn't know that it was him who was posting it. Um, and a small boutique publisher uh, printed a very small run, and that's how Don Coscarelli found it. Uh, via an Amazon recommendation. Um, around the time that uh, Pargin got the uh, film rights, uh, Coscarelli got the film rights, uh, Pargin was asked to uh, become executive editor of Cracked.com um, and they amalgamated his own pointless waste of time site in there. Sorry, I, I just have to get this 
all out in a rush because I know I know that time is a factor here. Um, but also, I think the uh, I think my main love of this film comes from what I can only describe as stoner philosophy. You've obviously got the opening where you've got the ship of Theseus or the grandfather's axe paradox, which more commonly in Britain nowadays is called Trigger's Broom, and um, that sort of comes full circle certainly with uh, the tragedy of uh, Arnie when he discovers that, yes, he's dead. Not only is he dead, but as far as he's concerned, no, he's not. He's a perfectly normal character and it's a byproduct of the soy sauce that the poor man's uh, trapped in the way that he is. Um, but uh, I think that's everything that we probably should have covered uh, before, as I say, Ted's about to come in and uh, we'll have to uh, stop the recording. So sorry about that, guys. Um, the one thing that I think does need to be mentioned, though, is that the dog in the film is called Barkley. And uh, that is actually the actor's name, i.e. the dog. Um, but And this seems to have pissed off a lot of fans of the book. In the book, the dog is called Molly. Right, I'll see you soon, guys, and uh, keep keep listening to the hot dogs. Yeah, I think it was like 2005 he actually f- he finished it on there, but obviously it was like... So he was releasing it chapter by chapter. He would get feedback and stuff like that. And, you know, he was sort of writing it so it developed kind of as he went so again that might be why it's a tad piecemeal in terms of its feeling yeah is because you know you are doing this over the course of like six years it's not like you've sat down and written this book in one sitting or anything else like that you know he was doing it sort of along with along with his day job and along with everything else can i um, Um, can i make a brief interrupt there Um, yeah it's called John Dies at the End. The twist is John doesn't die. And John dying, whether he does die or not, kind of has nothing to do with the story whatsoever. Yeah, see, that's why I just found it, it, it just another thing to prove what a terrible film it is. Even the title's a lie. Which, and, uh, yeah, I know you guys will see that as another selling point. Yeah. But to me, I was yeah. like... I did, because all the way another... through, I was like, what's that got to do with it? And then, you know, obviously, he does come back from the dead the future, the past, somewhere yeah. it comes back from another See, dimension. And, and again, I love I love all the sort of stuff back and forth where it's like, oh, you'll be getting some weird phone calls off yeah. in a few years as time is distorted. But that's it, all right. So, so that's, that's, got, that's got to be one of the things where he tells him to buy the bratwurst and he's then talking to him through that, that you probably hate, Lee, because you're like, that's yeah, because then he's rubbish. like, you're just trying to do something says, funny. Oh, right, so you're not really doing this, yeah. you can just talk to me in my head. So, why have I just had to buy? Yeah, and I was thinking exactly but the same. I was like, quite funny. what you could have explained, yeah, but then that's the point as well. Is it's like it's two people having to deal with each having other. To, yeah. Why did you not explain yeah. that to me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, so basically, loads of people downloaded it, made their own mm. versions of it and stuff. And Don Coscarelli came across it as a uh, came across the book as a uh, like on a boutique label mm. and they actually he sold the film rights before he sold the publishing rights which is just insane you know um right so let's wrap it up there uh we will be back next time with another film that we've been bandying about and has been mentioned uh, in probably every fourth or fifth episode since we started recording this thing and i can't believe running just getting around to it uh we are going to be starting on the tokyo gore uh, mm. scene and all of the films that followed but they were all started by 
the amazing Tokyo Gore Police. Um, yeah. And I'm very keen to hear what Chris is going to make of that one. <laughs> so, yes. uh, that, yeah, so that's going to be our next episode. I've I've mm. already started watching all of the Tokyo, well, not all of, but a load of the Tokyo Gore films to get myself up to speed on them. Because there's a lot of them that I hadn't seen. So mm. this is my excuse to go through a whole phase of... Uh, it does no, sound it's... like it's going to be a bit of a crazy one. <laughs> it's it's weird, but considering that we, we sort of spent two weeks, uh, or was it spent the most part of January looking at mm. Hound of the Baskerville as a classic of literature, <laughs> and, now, and now we've gone off the fucking bar. We've, yeah. we've got John Dies at the End, followed by Tokyo Gore Police. <laughs> It's going to be a fucking interesting year. I can honestly <laughs> say that. Excellent. Right. So thanks ever so much for listening, everybody. Um, go and check out, talking about UFOs, Eerie Essex's UFO episode is up. I'm only halfway through at the moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And a big thank you to them for all the shout out that we do get in that episode. It's very kind. Yeah. And also, uh, yeah. So, um, and also uh, Bethan's asked when are we doing um, uh, Rosemary's Baby? Because it's her favourite mm-hmm. horror well, film see, of all time. So we, we'll be putting, we can guarantee we'll be putting that in the schedule very soon. I was going to say, I think we've got the next three episodes planned, but I think we should then add Rosemary's Baby then, as it's been requested, as the next film to cover after our uh, our current planned uh, current lineup. Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea. Excellent. Fantastic yeah. idea. Um, yes, so I you, I'm uh, I'm only halfway through it because. Some podcasts I can put on and just have like background noise. And if I don't get it all, it doesn't matter. But Eerie Essex is one of those that Jennifer and I like to sit down together and actually, you know, absorb it all rather yeah. than mm. just, you know, picking up the odd joke and just letting it all. So, uh, yes, yeah, so we're only halfway I, through. But yeah, I, I must confess that I, I know exactly what you mean. Eerie Essex is one where I'm constantly hitting my reverse button at work. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, look, because there is that terrible thing of you want to go, no, shut up, you bastards. Yeah. I'm listening to something I care about. Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't include any of you. So. <laughs> uh, yes. So, so go and check out the Eerie Essex podcast. Uh, go and check out the Not For Everyone podcast. They're still putting out all their fantastic. Uh, at, those two are starting to hate each other more and more each week, each week and it's <laughs> just becoming more and more hilarious. So, uh, so don't, don't miss out on that as well. Yeah, don't miss out on it until it actually becomes actionable. And there's like, you know, there's <laughs> the law have become involved. So. Uh, yes. And uh, so go and check out Tokyo Gore Police and all the films that follow that. I won't give you any more titles until next week. Um, and we will see you all then. Thanks very much for listening. Good night. Good night.